There are times in life when we go about our days and we encounter things that may elicit certain memories or reactions or emotions. Sometimes it can be a sound or a place. Sometimes it's the telling of a story or maybe a smell that triggers a memory, which if you often think about it is usually also tied to an emotion. Now, as many of you know, I was in Montana a couple weeks ago, and while there I met a gentleman and had a conversation with him, and he was smoking a pipe. And in the course of our conversation, I was taken back to my younger years as the smell of that pipe reminded me of my grandfather who died nearly 40 years ago. And for a moment, I was taken back into my childhood memories. It is in this same kind of understanding that Jesus uses parables to teach what he intends for us to understand. Parables have a unique way of relating to each of us in some way that may evoke a reaction or an emotion. After hearing Jesus tell a parable, you may feel the pinch of the lesson that he is trying to tell, or maybe you don't. It all depends on where your heart is at the moment. But this is exactly what we hear in today's gospel text as this parable elicits a powerful reaction from the chief priests and the Pharisees. A reaction that ultimately leads them no choice but to kill Jesus. Our texts for the last few Sundays have centered around this issue again of Christ's authority. The metaphor that has been used to teach this lesson has been compared with God's kingdom or God's people to being that of a vineyard. In fact, there are several parables that use this analogy. However, there are a couple things about today's parable that are different. The first is that this teaching of Jesus is one of only three parables found in all three of the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This would seem to suggest that it is fairly important for our understanding. The second observation is that the parable shifts its focus away from the fruit of the vineyard and is now emphasizing the players, the landowner and his servants, his son and the tenants. The context is Jesus standing in the temple during the days leading up to his crucifixion and he is addressing those that had been set apart to be in God's dwelling place on earth. He is speaking to those that had been entrusted to keep God's house in order, to teach and to admonish God's chosen people. But we also know two other things, that those that Jesus is talking to believe that Jesus has no authority to speak to them this way and that their minds have never been changed. But Jesus is not finished with them yet. He seems to take a breath and he starts again. Only it isn't exactly new, he starts with a very familiar piece of scripture. One that these leaders would have studied and known well. Jesus begins the parable with the words and the language from Isaiah chapter 5, which we have heard today. And this language 
immediately tells everyone with ears to hear that this isn't just another vineyard story. The priests and the elders knew that this story was about the relationship between God and his chosen people. How God had rescued them out of slavery. He had led them to the promised land and planted them, his chosen people, in that land, a land overflowing with goodness. But when he came looking for the fruits of the kingdom, the obedience to the covenant that he had made with his people, what did he find? Were his chosen people following his will or their own? Were they worshiping him alone or had they chosen to worship other idols? Were his people producing the fruits of the kingdom that he had intended? And so we hear in the parable that the tenants do not make good on their end of the agreement and the landowner sends his workers to collect and they are beaten and killed. He sends even more and they are treated in the same way. So finally, the landowner sends the son saying, they will respect my son. But we look at this and say, why would the landowner do that? Why would he send his son after his servants had, be, had been treated in such a way? It is absurd to think that he would do that. That it is unreasonable. It's ridiculous. Unexpected. And then the next verse, of course, compounds the issue even more. The tenants say, if the son is the heir and we kill him, we get the inheritance. Now that really does not make sense. Even if the tenants did kill the son, surely the landowner would come and bring vengeance with him. Did they really think this would turn out? It seems that the tenants have confused being stewards of the vineyard with the rights of ownership of the vineyard. And in particular, their role in what the vineyard owner had established. This seems to be speaking into our lives today. This being the first weekend in October also means that over the next few weeks we will be emphasizing this subject of stewardship. In this, we'll hear about God's abundant blessings that he bestows to each of us in varying degrees and what God has provided and established in your life. But what is your posture towards God when he comes? Do you confuse stewardship with ownership? Do you see all that you have as an entitlement? that you have worked hard for what you have and you will keep for yourself first. When God sends his workers into the vineyard, how will you greet them? And is the outcome really any different than what Jesus explains? Because yes, God always sends the Son. Maybe now you are starting to feel that reaction to the parable I was talking about and the absurdity 
of God's grace for you. Well, this is exactly the point, of course, because the gospel of Jesus Christ is not reasonable. It is ridiculous. It is unexpected and absurd to our human reason. Because God sends his son to each of you in numerous times and ways to deliver the fruits of his kingdom, which is God's generous and abundant love, grace, and mercy for you. And he gives you these abundant fruits in the form of his son, come incarnate, and yet we reject him. We beat him and bloody him and we hang him on a cross, and yet we still expect the inheritance. And the amazing thing is that God gives it. People of God, we can begin to understand the truths of the gospel through this parable when we consider the long-suffering love of God and his patience with us. It doesn't take much to look around and see and hear the extent of human depravity in our world, the way that we treat each other, our posture towards God's grace, and what we feel we are entitled to. And at the core of today's text lies the centrality of the Son as God's ultimate giving of himself in grace and in mercy, freely giving all that is needed. Christ comes to each of you today in his word to find you here where you are. And he tells you through this parable that while you hoard the harvest for yourself and even kill him, God keeps sending the Son. Not only this, but God gives you the greater gift, a gift that you receive here today, a gift that was received by Lucas today. And you receive the fruits of the kingdom, specifically his body and his blood, so that you would know this gift is specifically for you. And then he plants faith in you to trust in it. He gives you his beloved son so that you would be pardoned of every offense against him. In this parable, Jesus is the son of the gracious landowner. He obediently comes to the vineyard here amongst us, Emmanuel, God with us, and we reject him. But Jesus had you in mind when he speaks this parable. You are welcomed into God's vineyard the same. Chosen specifically for the vineyard by God. And God has given you a heart to know him, not a heart made of stone, but one that actually bears the fruit of the kingdom. Because God's desire for you is that you would live in his peace and rest in his joy, knowing that because of his son, you have the gift of forgiveness and with it, eternal life, and in that, there is hope. God has brought you firmly and confidently into the good vineyard through baptism, and you have been cultivated and are tended by his holy word within this faith community, and so it only follows that being secure in this hope, that you will and do have a healthy desire to give to God from the fruits of the kingdom, to give to God in gratitude for all that he has given you with hope 
we give. Jesus ends this parable with the words of another piece of Scripture, that is Psalm 118, where he is called the cornerstone the builders rejected. He asserts himself as the cornerstone of the kingdom of God who has been put here amongst us, and without Christ, faith is nothing, and it cannot stand. It is on Christ alone that faith is given for your redemption to God, and it can only be found in the Son. And this is good news for us today. And so he says to you, I choose you. I love you as I have loved the last, and I love you as I have loved the least, and the tax collectors, and the prostitutes, and you, yes, the sinners. I have given my vineyard to you, an outsider, the vineyard is mine and you are in it. Go now and produce the fruits of the kingdom. So today we are blessed by the absurdity of God's grace. Thanks be to God. Amen.